Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers and later we'll have more on what's going on during the heat of summer. But first we continue to cover campaign 2023 and today we talk with a candidate for state agriculture commissioner. Farming is a big business in Kentucky. The Department of Agriculture, one of the largest sectors in state government. Former Kentucky House Majority Floor Leader Jonathan Shell is the Republican nominee. Shell is from Garrett County. His campaign says he's a fifth generation farmer. In May, he won his party's nomination for Ag Commissioner. And that was a pretty tough race. Welcome. Congratulations on your, your victory there. Yes, sir. I appreciate it, Bill. It's running, good to be here this morning. You're running against an old colleague who had uh, run before. Yes, right? sir. So, yeah. yeah. So uh, you're you're glad to have cleared that race? Yeah, it's uh, you know I'm I'm really happy to be on the primary now, <clears throat> and uh, you know we're we're really excited to get into the general election, and more so than that is, you know we getting beyond the general election and actually getting into the office, getting our hands on the department, and and really just continuing the path of excellence that we've had there uh, for the last several commissioners. Speaking of paths, your political path has been interesting. You yep. won a race very early. You yep. became the majority floor leader after you went out and recruited Republican mm -hmm. candidates and they took the majority. Then you lose mm -hmm. a House seat. Yep. But you told me very early, back in your 20s, that Ag com Commissioner is where you were pointed back then. Yep. Are you back on the track you wanted to be on? You know, I don't know that there's ever a track uh, that I'm on in politics. I just want to be able to do the best job that I can uh, for the people that I represent. And uh, the reason that I ran for state representative the first time was really because of Jamie Comer, who's now congressman uh, for the first district here in Kentucky, former Ag Commissioner. Uh, he came to Boyle County uh, in 2011, whenever he ran for Ag Commissioner the first time. And I had a friend of mine, mutual friend of ours, he said, hey, I want you to come and support Jamie Comer. I want you to write him a check, do a letter to the editor, and uh, come over here to this event. And I said, well, you, I, I'd like to at least meet him first before I do. I'd never knew who he was. And so I went over there and he was just singing my song. Everything that he believed was the same stuff that I believed. And uh, whenever I left there, I wrote him a check, did the letter to the editor, slapped a bumper sticker on, and we've been friends ever since. And, and I got to see that through Jamie Comer, you know, I was kind of a throw the bums out kind of attitude towards politics. Didn't really care much about any politician that was out there. I thought they were all there for the wrong reasons. And whenever I met Jamie, uh, Congressman Comer and seen, you know, that he was just a regular person who went to Frankfurt, who did a good job, and now is Ag Commissioner and really uh, focused on better in the state. It made me realize that just regular people that want to do a good job can actually do something in politics. What do you want voters to know about uh, how you would like to promote and regulate uh, Kentucky agriculture? You know, for me, agriculture is economic development. And what I want to focus on in the Department of Agriculture is really three main things. Uh, the first one is on production agriculture, of taking an inventory of what our state looks like currently uh, with our infrastructure across the state of Kentucky, kind of overlay where uh, we have great infrastructure, where our granaries, our, our, uh, our infrastructure that are there for our manufacturing sector of agriculture, uh, where our commodities are laid out across the state, corn, beans, wheat, cattle, pigs, uh, poultry, all the things that we have, and see where we have opportunities and deficiencies to be able to put investment in uh, to increase the infrastructure that we need in the state to really push forward our large agriculture production uh, side of this. The second thing is, is on-farm retail and small markets for the state of Kentucky for more of our bivocational farmers or smaller farmers across the state, uh, looking at how we can get more inside of our hospitals, more inside of our school districts, our jail systems, places that have to have food on a daily basis uh, for a lot of our smaller farmers to co-op together to be able to push those products in. And then lastly is just pushing back against a lot of the policies and regulations that are coming out of Frankfurt or out of Washington and a lot of uh, uh, national organizations that are trying to demonize what we do in agriculture. 
but as far as the regulation side of it, my, my, my policy or my thought towards regulation that we have in the state as a conservative is regulation is there to educate first, not to penalize. And so looking at how we're going to regulate the state of Kentucky, because the Ag Department is one of the largest regulatory agencies in the state of Kentucky, Bill, and, and uh, it is a big part of what we do, and just making sure that we're doing that appropriately in the correct way. And yet uh, farmers, uh, you know, are dealing with a lot of uh, rough weather in recent years. Yeah. Do you have to stay ahead of the, the, the science on, on weather and, 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 and climate to be successful, and therefore uh, there have to be some regulation. Right? Absolutely, and, and as far as weather goes, you know, farming's one of the only uh, <laughs> industries that are out there that, that really you're at the will and mercy of God and the weather that comes down. And, and so whether it's uh, early frost that really hurt our hay crops, you know, on, on my farm, you know, we're about 50% on what our hay stand looks like, and a lot of the people that I've talked to across the state of Kentucky that are putting hay up the same way, Right now, we were in a drought for a long time, and now in certain parts of the state are still there. Certain parts of the state, we've gotten too much rain. It's time for us to take a little bit of a break. And so we are completely at the whim of, of weather. But I'll tell you, the thing that is, is really neat about agriculture is the advances in technology that we have had over the years. These genetics that are coming out now with our corn or beans or wheat, other things, they're, they're becoming extremely resistant to the changes in weather to where that even if you don't have enough rain, you're still getting that crop to stay on long enough for us to get a rain. Uh, hemp seemed to be uh, so promising a few years ago, and there were uh, political battles and market realities that became uh, factors, obviously. Uh, it has not been the economic boost that people had hoped for. Right. Do you still hold out hope for hemp? You know, I, I hope that there is a way that we can make this a very viable crop for the state of Kentucky. You know, early on, we thought that it may be a replacement for tobacco incomes on the farm. Uh, to really uh, try and push a new crop that was out there and we got involved in it on my farm. Shell Farms at one point in time we were one of the largest and first farmers that had gotten involved in it and I can tell you that uh, it was not good for us. We, we lost money, we never made a profit, um, the market just wasn't there and it kind of bottomed out. The company that we were working with went bankrupt, sold assets, did all the things and so you know picking yourself up after that happens is really tough and so the thing that I want to focus on as we move into new markets in the state if we ever have any others that come in is just making sure that we have protections put in place for our farmers that as we are promoting these things the mar new markets that are coming in that we have protections whether it be bonding or other things to ensure that 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 we're not hurting our farmers in the process of trying to create new markets. What do you see as our most promising crops in Kentucky uh, now and in the future? You know, poultry is it continues to be an extremely profitable crop for the state of Kentucky. It, it just got surpassed by corn a few years ago as being our top crop. Uh, corn now is our top crop again uh, this past year, and uh, we're, we're 15th in the nation in corn, beans. Uh, we're extremely high in wheat. We're first in the, in the nation east of the Mississippi in cattle production. We're eighth nationally in cattle production. Uh, Kentucky really is an agriculture state. We do a lot of amazing things in a big way in the state for agriculture. Every product that we have is, is, it has the ability to be profitable and has the ability to be something that we can expand upon for new markets. And that, that's really what I want to focus on and help people to understand that are not in agriculture, that agriculture is business. Agriculture is economic development. And we need to focus on that. We need to focus on the infrastructure. And uh, we've got the best farmers in the world. We need everything else, Bill. We need the geneticists. We need the marketers. We need all the other secondary businesses that are associated with farming so that we can take it to the next level. Are we behind in that regard? I would say yes. I think that uh, it, as you progress, I hope 
hope you're always behind because that means that you're not got something to strive for. And so even though we've got some of those things, we need to do a better job of, of getting younger people more focused on agriculture, getting excited about that uh, so that whenever they're going into occupations, whether it be into a career path or into college, that they have on their mind and focused on that there are opportunities in agriculture because they are there. And we've got amazing FFA programs in the state of Kentucky. We have amazing 4-H programs in the state. And so gathering those kids up and even beyond that, of getting kids that are not focused on the farm, maybe not in those programs, to understand where their food comes from is going to make them more susceptible to being involved in the industry later on. Do young people see agriculture as a path for them? And, and if they do, are they looking at it in terms of uh, the family farm that they yeah. hear their grandfathers right. and the great-grandfathers may have had, or do they look at, well, you know, you, right. you join some big corporate outfit and maybe yeah. you're, you have some uh, role in that? You know, the, the corporate outfits, uh, whenever people think about factory farming or corporate farming, doesn't really exist in the state of Kentucky. 99.9% .9 of the farms in the state are family farms or individual owned. Now the corporate side, whether it be in ag finance or in ag chemical or ag seed, those are big corporations and, and a lot of times, and some of those are small family owned as well. But the, I think the, the neat thing and the thing that excites me the most is that we have such an opportunity to educate people that farming has gone beyond cows, plows, and sows. We are now really advanced in technology. I've got a friend of mine in Hardin County who just bought a drone who is using a drone now to spray his corn crop, to spray his wheat crop. We've got GPS tractors that drive themselves, that go in the field, that do all these things. I mean, technology is advancing so fast in agriculture. It's, it's truly amazing. The genetics that we have in our corn crops and our beans um, I mean, it, it, it truly is amazing that we've been able to increase by almost 100 bushel to the acre in the last 20, 30 years on crops that before we just weren't getting there. And uh, we need people who can take us even beyond that. If we're going to feed the world, if we're going to help uh, stave out starvation across the world here in America, if we're going to make our farmers more profitable, uh, those are the ways that we do it is through technology. Uh, of course, farmers uh, still enjoy showing off their crops. The state fair is something that the state agriculture uh, commissioner has a whole lot to do in overseeing, yeah. and uh, the department, of course, responsible for uh, putting on that fair. And you look forward to that uh, possibility. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about the state fair. You know, we've got a couple of you know ideas of, of things that people have talked to me about of, of stuff that we can improve on or look at. But uh, the state fair is really the, the key landmark thing that really exposes the rest of the state to agriculture. And whether it's kids showing cattle or whether it's those big pieces of equipment that are there or the Farm Bureau breakfast, all these kind of things really help to create that narrative around what agriculture is. And it's really uh, a very intimate thing that we have in this state of the family farm, of, of producing your food, knowing where it comes from. And the state fair is the best way that we have to show it off. You were showing me some giant pumpkins. Yes, sir. Growing. I mean, uh, in other words, you still have fun with agriculture. Oh, I love it. Every day I wake up is, is a good day. We, we raise, uh, you know, several hundred head of cattle on our farm. Uh, we do have flower greenhouses, so uh, um, hanging baskets, bedding plants. We're about two acres under roof. A lot of the garden centers here in Lexington, we wholesale to those and then we retail also. But two years ago, I got involved in the pumpkin business and I started growing uh, jack-o'-lanterns and stackables and those kind of things. And I've got a friend of mine, Dwight Sloan in Floyd County, who gave me some pumpkin seeds out of his 1,600-pound prize-winning pumpkin last year. And so I planted those four, or I planted those seeds, and I got four of them that were really, really good. And so I put them out in the field, and they're about 150-pound pumpkins right now. The, the plant itself is about 200 to 250 square feet, and I really get excited. But I'll be honest with you, 
I have spent more time on four pumpkin plants than I have on the rest of the 26 <laughs> acres of my pumpkins, but I've gone crazy over these things. That's <laughs> kind of your, your hobby of the summer. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk. In order to, uh, to become the State Agriculture Commissioner, you will have to win an, another election, and uh, uh, there is a formidable Democratic opposition. Uh, why do candidates for office with limited scopes like Agriculture Commissioner or Secretary of State or the State Treasury jump into social and cultural issues in the way you did before the primary uh, in offices that have very little to do with that. I think a, a lot of times we do that because it's, uh, you know, the voters have a belief system themselves and to connect with that belief system to show them beyond because you only have 2% of the population or less that's actually involved in farming or farm related activity and so but but 100 percent of the state that's registered to vote can vote in these elections and whether it's in a primary or general election you're trying to talk to people who are beyond that to show them your value set your belief set and so that's the reason that a lot of times candidates that have more of a limited scope in their in their view system have to talk about the things that are there and for me i was a state representative house majority leader i have a track record i have a voting record and something that i'm very proud of and my belief system and what i believe in is is nothing that i'm going to shy away from and so if we need to talk about those in general election or primary elections that's what we're going to do would you be likely as a in holding that office to uh, speak more about uh, agriculture and what's going on in that department or do you see that as a platform to discuss a lot of uh, issues? No, I mean I, I really want to focus on those three things that we talked about earlier and uh, you know if there's uh, uh, issues that come up that are beyond the scope of what agriculture department looks like and, and I feel a need to be able to speak on it. I don't want to be limited in my capacity to do that but you know we're not going to be seeking out those things but but as, as we see things coming down from the national level uh, especially things that are anti-agriculture, anti-rural Kentucky, anti-Kentucky in general. I think that as the Ag Commissioner, one of the things that I am is going to be the voice for rural Kentucky of pushing those things out, connecting our urban and rural areas together, looking for opportunities to work together and being that voice for that. And, and I don't want to limit myself on just being uh, someone who has to focus on farming and ag business in my view stance because I'm beyond that. You know, I, I'm a person who lives in this state and has a belief system myself. Jonathan Shell, the Republican nominee for Kentucky Agriculture. Culture Commissioner, thanks for coming. We appreciate yes, it. Thank you, Bill. And of course, we'll be uh, attempting to schedule his Democratic opponent later uh, on Newsmakers. We hope you'll stay with us. We'll be back. We'll have more in just a moment. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers from WKYT. As you know, this has been an unusual year weather-wise. More rain, more wind, more large hail than most of us can remember. First Alert Chief Meteorologist Chris Bailey and others on our team have pulled some very long hours to keep it covered and to keep you in the know. Some lost sleep this year, Chris. Yeah, it's overrated. <laughs> you know, I've said it for years, but especially with the weather this year. My yeah. goodness. This has really been a, a remarkable stretch of weather. Recently, two tough weekends back-to-back. Yeah back. Uh, a couple of weekends ago, it was uh -huh. the Madison County right. Richmond area that got hit so hard. So two weeks ago tonight, we had 110 mile per hour winds with a severe thunderstorm in Madison County, just north of the city of Richmond. And you combine that with baseball sized hail. So we had essentially a category two hurricane force wind at 110 miles an hour and hail the size of baseball. 
So the damage that occurred in Madison County, Bill, wasn't from the hail that was falling from the sky. That's roof damage. This was on the, the siding. Right. Because you had that. The, Look at that. I mean, it looks like uh, houses were shot up. Right. It looks like shotgun blast, yeah. essentially. And that's what Mother Nature was doing. It was uh, kind of a shotgun blast of hail breaking windows because you were throwing that uh, those hailstones were falling into winds that were going at up to 110 miles an hour. So that hail was just being taken uh, horizontally and just smashing into windows, into anything to cause a lot of damage. Bill, I can't stress just how crazy it is to have any thunderstorm produce 110 mile per hour winds or any thunderstorm to produce baseball size hail. But to get one thunderstorm do both of those? Yeah. At the same time, you know, it's crazy. Hail is a strange thing. You know, I mean, it's almost yeah. like like yeah. snow in summer. Right, so, right, so right, what, right. What's really going on? It's, up essentially, there? what you're getting is, uh, you know, up in the clouds, yeah. temperatures go below freezing. All right, and you got a freezing level there. Mm -hmm. So you got these little ice balls that are developing up in the clouds essentially and they start to fall then they stronger the winds they pick those back up and take them back in the clouds so they fall below the 32 degree mark yep. where they melt a little bit and gain may hit some raindrops bill then the wind takes them back up so essentially a hailstone just cycles through that thunderstorm up down up down until it's so big and heavy that the wind the updraft can't sustain it can't hold it anymore and it falls to the ground so to have hailstones reach the size of baseball you had to have extremely yeah. buoyant air and that uh, that updraft into that thunderstorm was absolutely nuts some concerns about warnings uh, particularly yeah. in Madison County where the weather radios didn't mm -hmm. uh, didn't activate and then there were some other places that didn't get a warning about the situation yeah you know the warning for Madison County they had it uh, the National Weather Service in Louisville put that out into northern Madison County northwest of Richmond and then that storm was almost into Richmond before they decided to extend it. And mm -hmm. this has been an ongoing problem, especially in central Kentucky, where we are the farthest counties removed from the National Weather Service in Louisville. I don't want to say we're forgotten about because it's yeah. not that, but you know, when you're on the outer edges and it's yeah. about to leave your area, you may not pay as much attention to it. We used to have a weather service office in Lexington yeah. uh, into the 1990s. Yeah, 1994 yeah. reorganization, National Weather mm -hmm. Service, they combined some offices and back at that time you had Louisville, you had Lexington, you had Jackson, Kentucky. Uh, it was a toss up on which one was going to close. Was it going to be Lexington or Jackson, Kentucky? Jackson, Kentucky stayed open. Lexington combined with the National Weather Service in Louisville. Last week, Lexington then was hit hard with storms, and, and that uh, you know just blew up, yeah. and, and, and suddenly there were all kinds of power outages mm -hmm. and, and uh, damage and issues for people yeah. uh, to contend with again. And this was one week to the day that we were talking about Madison County getting hit by 110 miles an hour. Now, this is a severe thunderstorm that hit especially the south side of Lexington. That also had hurricane force winds likely gusts greater than 75 to 80 miles per hour. Uh, you know, that hit on my side of town. In the south side of town, Jacobson Park especially, absolutely, you know, mind-boggling to go through there and see so many trees that were down. A lot of trees were uprooted. Some of the trees were literally sawed off. And to, and to kind of have that happen, you've got to get some serious wind. So, you know, there's no official, uh, you know, anemometer or wind gauge out there. Mm -hmm. But in looking at the damage, Bill, you had to, again, have hurricane force winds for a second time in a week hit the Lexington Metro. You know, we had that uh, rough winter situation right before Christmas. Yeah. Then we had that rough 
yeah. wind situation in early March. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The power companies are just uh, strained beyond, aren't they? We could take that back a little further. Yeah. We could go back to uh, two years ago, uh, well, two and a half years ago in, in 21, mm -hmm. when you had the ice storms that hit right. in, in, what, February of that year. Then you had the December 21 tornadoes that followed that up same year. You had the devastating flooding last year. So our utilities, you know, our companies have been just mm -hmm. stretched thin. And it wasn't just the big events, but sandwiched in there earlier this year, we had numerous days of, of high winds of 50 and 60 miles an hour without thunderstorms. Yep. And so our power crews, you know, have it's almost been a nonstop job. Yep. And, and, and our hat's off to those folks so who get out and do that no matter the weather, sure. no matter the time of day to get our power back on, God bless them. And in some cases they're seeking uh, rate increases, but trying to ex you know, put that out over right, a right, period right. of time mm -hmm. so it doesn't hit their customers all at once. And then the Public Service Commission's asking some questions well, about preparation that, as well. That's true, and, and, and this is something that, you know, maybe that's, we need to take a closer discussion. look at this now. Yeah. We need to have a discussion about you know, power lines that are exposed anymore instead because of underground. things are happening with the things, weather. Things I mean, are happening. You know? We often say this. I started seven or eight years ago saying extreme is the new normal when it comes to weather. And my goodness, extreme is the new normal. I mean, it, it, it's so it's to the point now um, that I look at a pattern and I'm thinking, okay, and I try and think, well, what's the worst case scenario that can come from this? Because the chances are that's what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't do anything mm -hmm. small anymore when it comes to weather. We have, you know, in the past two years alone, Lexington has had historic snows. We've had historic ice storms. We've had historic rains. We've had historic flooding. We've had winds that were yeah. up to 100 miles an hour. I mean, there's nothing that is small anymore. And, and yet, with all that wild weather, uh, we are mindful that times have been tougher in other parts of the country and other parts of the world. Yeah, if we look, I think we just we just ran a story a few days ago on how the 4th of July was mm -hmm. the hottest in the history of the world, right? Mm -hmm. But yet, here in Kentucky, we were kind of shielded from that. We've had a little cooler than normal summer. So we're in a bubble of cool while the rest of the world is literally on fire. So for us here, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine uh, what all is going on across the world. Look at Canada, all the fires that are still burning out of control that have thrown so much smoke our way. Well, you know what that's the result of? One of the warmest and hottest spells they've ever had back in the spring and early yeah. summer. While we've been cool here in Kentucky, folks up in Canada have been dry and hot, almost like a desert. Yeah. And the Arctic Circle just a few days ago, we hit 90 degrees. We're working to put together a special. Uh, mm -hmm. The one year anniversary is coming up of the flooding in eastern Kentucky from yeah. last year. That's hard to believe yeah. that we're almost to one year of that. And uh, we've got crews that are going to be back down there. We're going to be talking to people that you know we were, we were talking to that were devastated a year ago. I'm going to take a look back at just the history, the historic nature of that storm and how it was literally built a one in a 1,000 year event in Kentucky. Well, 
I'm afraid to ask you what's next, but I don't know if you see any, anything in the pattern. I'm afraid to answer, too. <laughs> I, you know, I don't see a lot of heat going forward over yeah. the next few weeks, but unfortunately, I think we're into a pattern that can produce a lot more rain. All right. We'll keep watch, and thank you very much. You and congratulations. You've, you've about pulled 25 years here now. At yeah, here in a couple weeks, it'll be 25 <laughs> years. Oh. Can you believe? I can, because I was here long before that. All right. <laughs> My hairline can believe it. Yeah. All right. We'll be back. We'll wrap up Kentucky Newsmaker in just a moment. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. WKYT is once again partnering with St. Jude Children's Research Hospital for this year's Dream Home Giveaway in Lexington, and those tickets are on sale now. Our Amber Philpot recently met a Central Kentucky family who knows firsthand the life-saving work that goes on at St. Jude. They credit St. Jude for saving their son's life, and they know the Dream Home Giveaway is critical to making sure that no family ever receives a bill for the treatment they receive there. I owe everything to St. Jude. They really helped me uh, be the person I am today and helped me be here today. Ethan Scott Smith is 23 now, but in 2007, his world was turned upside down. Ethan began having headaches and started to become really tired all the time and, you know, would fall asleep doing homework at night. Um, we had taken him to the doctor and they really couldn't figure out what was wrong either. While visiting family in Mississippi, Ethan got worse and his mother, Tay Scott Smith, took him to a doctor who mentioned it might be a tumor. This doctor was amazing. He actually said the words in the clinic, uh, tumor. He said, St. Jude. Like he, he led us on this path that actually came to happen. An x-ray of Ethan's head would reveal a devastating diagnosis, medulloblastoma, a malignant and aggressive brain tumor. The family from Madison County found themselves immediately being sent to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in Memphis. They're the real deal. Um, they, <laughs> everything that they say they are, they really are, and then some. Ethan's family can't say enough about the support they received walking the halls of St. Jude. We just immediately had all the support, things that we hadn't even thought of yet that we were going to need. They had it lined out for us. They met every need that we weren't even aware yet that we would have to face. The mission of St. Jude is to not only fight childhood cancer, but to ensure that no patient ever receives a bill while being treated. And that's where this year's St. Jude Dream Home comes in. It's being built by Mulberry Builders on Stolen Horse Trace off Polo Club Boulevard. The Dream Home giveaway is one of the largest fundraising programs for St. Jude each year. While Lexington is a long way from Memphis, it's this house and the dollars raised through the Dream Home giveaway that will help further the mission of St. Jude and provide hope for patients like Ethan and others. St. Jude is the reason why I'm here today and why so many other people are here today. And I don't want any kids to go through what I did. And tickets for a chance to win the Dream Home are $100 each. You can scan the QR code or look for the St. Jude tab on WKYT.com. There you'll find more information about St. Jude's mission and about the home giveaway. Well, next week, one of our scheduled guests will be the Democratic nominee for Ag Commissioner, Sierra Inlow, who hopes to become the first woman to hold that position. That's Kentucky Newsmakers for this week. We hope you make it a good week ahead.